Greetings, dear, dear listeners, and welcome to another episode of The Working Experience, a very warm, open-arm audio embrace and a squeeze. This episode is brought to you by my company, One Circle Media. One Circle Media is a hybrid digital agency and media content creator. We create and design apps, websites, videos, social media content, and physical products. We are artists, directors, designers, producers, coders, editors, thinkers, makers, and creators who embrace story and creativity from design, web and app development, animation, docs, features, TV shows, digital and social media content to physical products. For our clients, we create content that builds networks and audiences across multiple platforms. Check out our work at OneCircleDigital.com and OneCircleBrand.com. If you work for a network, studio, brand, startup, or corporation and are looking for a partner to create media that will build, engage, and entertain, reach out to me at John at OneCircleMedia.com. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks, everyone, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Working Experience. The Working Experience. Route 93 North is almost at a standstill. It's a rough one out there this morning. Snow and sleet. There is no service on that. Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Uh, Yeah, folks, we're going to be a few minutes. We have train traffic ahead of us. We should be moving shortly. John, we need that report ASAP. Where are we on that presentation? And HR wants to see you. Did you return that email yet? We have a team meeting at 10. The state link, Bob. Teamwork makes the dream work. (laughs) They're moving in a different and after the meeting, we'll have a breakout session. Where are my hot pockets? This microwave is disgusting. Oh, God, what's that? He was wow. living his Sexual toenails at his desk. I can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore. Hello. Hi. Hey. Good morning. Good, Good morning, morning, I guess it is. Good afternoon to you. Yeah. <laughs> How is everything? Good. Oh, Just good. Um, working in the studio, you know? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I prefer to work, you know, like uh, basically uh, in a very relaxed way, in right. a very modern modern way, or yeah. old, old school. Yeah. But I but but I believe in going to work. You know. You know who said uh, Greg Ginn? You know, he was the guitarist for Black Flag. Black Flag. And he said like. Because then he, he did SST records and he said, you know, I've always sure. considered myself a working person, not yeah. like a rock star, like I work, you know, and yeah, get down to, to business. Well, you know, it's funny. I was going to send you this quote and this was, I just write out some questions, but there's um, a portrait artist, Chuck Close, and I, I okay. read him in a book. It's, it's called Spark. It's by Kurt Anderson. It talks to a lot of creative people. And his, it's a longer quote, but I always love this one. It said, inspiration is for amateurs. The rest of us show up and get to work. Yeah, because, um, you know, um, really great art should should somehow... I mean, I'm not talking about how you present it, but really great art, it should be, reflect a full spectrum of human emotion and observation of some type, some, some type. Even in the depth of a, a singular piece, it should have some kind of depth that covers uh, this really wild thing. 
I mean, it's one thing to be Donald Judd and say this is a black box and this is why it's art. But but real things like Rothko and stuff, what makes it really fly? All of those things, the fact that it, if you view all of the works, in, if you're lucky enough in your life once or twice when they have a retrospective, like I saw one at the Met one time, maybe around the late right before 2000 or something where I saw like 50 of his works at once and and you could really really see that it was more than just like two colors fading into each other mm -hmm. it was like you know what I mean you could really see why he's known as Rothko's known as one of the great modern artists of our time yeah. or was you know and it, it, it's this full spectrum of human emotion even within these fades, these color blendings, it's just all these different things that they communicate in there. Um, and uh, so if you work every day and you're as an artist, you're going to capture all that stuff. Right. And then part of, part of, you know, part of, part of things, part of it's like, uh, if you have any experience with the sea and sailing or whatever, being a fisherman of a, a sea, a, the sea and a sailor, you know, like sometimes the wind doesn't come and you can like these guys in these old Arabic boats and stuff off the coast of Africa, you could just die out there in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah. But, but, but a lot of people, you know, you just have to sit there and wait for the wind to come. It could mm -hmm. be days, mm -hmm. you know, and, but and you, it's, can, you it, can tack. Too. You can adjust your sail. Not if there isn't any wind. Well, true. You can't yes. do anything but sit there in the hot sun. But you do have to, like, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I write. So I find yeah. sometimes I just have to go sit at the desk. Even if I got nothing coming, I just got to get an hour. Because I work a job, too. I teach yeah. high school English. So I have to carve out cool. time. But I find I, I got to at least go sit there. And, and just stew, you know, and if yeah. the wind doesn't come, the wind doesn't come and okay, then, but, but if I don't do that, the wind won't come. If I don't. One thing that was really helpful for me early on was, um, uh, you know, I was interested in, in teaching myself about recording and writing. And so on the one hand, I kind of have a musical background in the sense that I loved music my whole life. So I knew how everything that I loved about music sounded in my head. So for instance, I know that Booker T and the MGs really rip on the organ and, mm -hmm. and a groove or something, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I knew how to approach the organ before I ever played it. Mm -hmm. Because to me, that's when a song was like that, that that's one really good way to go about doing it. And, and um, so the whole point then became, just writing music, you know, and, and completing the idea. So at early on days, if I came up with a country song or a disco song, I would just complete it for the sake of writing. And it had nothing to do with me wanting to be in a disco band or a country band. It was just like the, the concept of, of, of following through as a learning process, you know, and, and then once, you, once you've done that thousands and thousands of times, they say it takes 10 years or whatever, mm -hmm. but you also have all that extra ammo for a while, you mm -hmm. know? Meaning like I, I, I could excel at being a folk artist beyond like the people 
<laughs> my peers in San Francisco or anything else because I could just unload on anybody at a party endlessly without ever leaving the key of A because right. I just sat there so many times writing songs using the same three chords or whatever they were and, and, and doing. You could just baffle people because there's no way they could, they could come up with that. I think people, you know, it's really important. So I think even in writing, just if you're just skip what you're trying to do and you just do stuff, you know what I mean? It's so helpful. You, it, nobody has to know about all your little processes. No, you I see mean, what I'm saying you could be trying yeah, yeah. to write Dune. You could be your goal could be writing the next Dune or whatever it is, right? Yeah, it could be yeah. it could be anything. But if you forget about that and you're just writing weird stuff, you know, you can write a fake autobiography of some twisted fuck. Excuse my language, <laughs> but no, you know no, what no. I mean. You could you just get really weird. You could just and it's it, it is kind of limitless. I think you know because you can you with writing you can sort of riff off of just somebody you met in a bar in Ohio or wherever you're at, you know, just some weird character. And, I, was and, and on, can... uh, I was on Amtrak and I heard this woman behind me and she was talking to her father and then switching back to, I guess, her sister or brother. Like, no, dad can't go by the car. No. And then she's like, <laughs> oh, but dad, you can't just go over there. Yeah, but you have to be there in 20 minutes. So I thought, God, this is fascinating. I'd love to hear the other side of this conversation, you know? So I wrote some of it down just to, you know, write it down. It's it fun. I like it, you know, but I think you also have to really, you have to love it. I mean, you really have to enjoy whether you're writing a country music or disco, like, or, or just writing books or, or short stories or whatever. You have to enjoy it. Like you really have to love the process and, and get a lot of joy out of that. I guess. The I music, know. music has this other level that words don't really, it's, yes. it, 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 it's a higher art form. See, in, in the sense that um, if you're listening to a symphony, right, and it's going the composer goes on to something else, but your brain is still singing the other part, and they do it on purpose. So you're doing these mental loops of the super, the this the, the way they trick you these like harmonic melodies so your brain's actually if, if you have, if you're one of the people with musical aptitude you're just sitting there and you're actually a participant and hearing things that aren't really there it's triggering it, it's like a long loop it's like when you're in school and you're a little kid and they're singing rounds row 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 your boat and then the next part of the class starts singing but your brain's just doing that automatically and, and in words, it doesn't really do that. The power of words is the voice of the narrator. You know, the story becomes your mind. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the power of words also, it's the point of reference. So it's there, the, you know, like everything you read <laughs> inspires you to sometimes to shoot off into something else, you know, and to learn more about it. So that, that's where, you know, if you listen to like some old Freemason guy like Manly P. Hall or something, he's just giving some lecture, but he's talking about all these ancient civilizations or something. It's not really about what he's the, the two hour long lecture or something. It's about all these fascinating cultures and sub, uh, subjects that he's talking about that you're supposed to like go investigate. Could be anything, but that kind of stuff's really cool. And then I guess, um, uh, 
yeah, books, books are really great that way. <laughs> they make you think, but the, the yeah. best thing a book can make you do is, you know, is make you want to put it down and go out and live your life until yes. you meet people. And then they're, you're like, Oh man, I'm stupid. I need to read more books. <laughs> it's like this giant pendulum. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I'll hear about a new book and think, I got to read that one. And then two days later, I'm like, boy, I can't read all these books in my lifetime. I got to figure out. <laughs> but whatever grabs you, you know, too. I mean, sometimes picking up a book by accident and, you know, it's, it's a wonderful experience. Uh, well, I think the concept of try, uh, your, your occupation of just trying to inspire other people to be in, interested in things is, is interesting in and of itself. Yeah, we don't live in a culture that embraces books so much anymore, particularly younger well, people. They don't, it doesn't embrace very much of anything. It embraces like, hey, what's on Netflix? Anybody yeah. got any suggestions? Yeah. <laughs> you know, know. We look, it's like bananas. I know. It's bananas culture. I mean, I, I obviously don't live in the same exact culture as you, yeah. which is cool. Yeah. But I mean, it's we live in, in wasteoid times. That's why it's important to... Uh, more important than ever I'm, I'm not saying to drop out but you life's too short to a disconnection live the kind of life to, well to live the kind of life you're not interested in yeah or to live someone uh, everybody else's life through their social media it's very strange well it's even worse than that it's like the only options of everything are just prepackaged and pushed at you almost every single thing whether it's from student loans on i mean yeah the the options, uh, it's just not very okay. I don't think the way most people only view their options. I mean, I I never knew I could live in Europe until I tried, but uh, yeah, which is which is cool in a way because I wouldn't have been able to accomplish a lot of things because people here here are mentally stunted in their own way. Mm -hmm. They lack a thing that Americans have in spades or a lot of them used to when I grew up, which was that you could crash and burn multiple times. And most people did, and you mm -hmm. still can make it. <laughs> you could still just reinvent yourself, you know, bankruptcies, whatever. You're like, That's you know, oh, I'm going to do this. You know, my mom probably had 10 different shops in her life just as hobbies. You yeah. know, it's just like meant nothing to her. You know, it's just like, oh, yeah, I'm opening up this thing. and. Well, so Europeans, don't, you don't think they have that same kind of entrepreneurial? Well, you're never going to get property unless you're born into it because people don't sell property. Everybody rents. So that, that whole oh. notion of you're going to get on the property ladder and flip huh. a house and all of a sudden get some fake equity and all this crap that Americans do is BS, you know? Yeah. It's just BS. Yeah. It's absolute BS. <laughs> Everything is it's a bubble economy that's just waiting to smash so hard. Yeah. Because... You know what I mean? It's craziness. But I mean, you make a good point. It's, it is kind of craziness, but I guess at least here you do have that. Yeah, I can crash and burn. I can just go do it again. I mean, it's no. But, yeah, but it that, doesn't occur to a lot of people. That's true. Well, it doesn't occur that, to a lot of people. That they have that kind of freedom, you know, because yeah. everything's associated with your like your CV or something, which is just garbage, anyways. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got a, when I got a job when, when I was a teenager with Quicksilver, the surfing clothing company. You know, somebody told me that they were looking for somebody in the art department, and I went in there. You know, and I just, I, I you know, I call, I booked an interview, right? 
and they're like uh, and i was like uh do you got an application or whatever and they're like yeah do you have a cd and a cv i was like just give me the application i don't need a cd and i just put my telephone number <laughs> and they're like so where'd you go to school and i was like i'm an artist <laughs> you know it's like i'm an artist yeah well, where'd you go to school? What, like kindergarten? What does that have to do with me doing art? Yeah. <laughs> where did I go to school? Who cares? I'm an artist. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I got <laughs> the job, art. but I mean, it was just like, who cares where yeah. I went to school? But, you know, everything's so weird, you know, anyways. I overheard these two girls. I was substituting in a school and one said, they were on their phones, of course. One said, hey, look at this video. And she goes, I'm not going to watch that. It's six minutes long. Like she couldn't invest six minutes to watch a video. And I thought, wow, <laughs> wow, that's, that, is, that speaks volumes about people's attention. Well, she knew it wasn't TikTok because those things were only like two minutes. So. Yeah, yeah, if that. You're, you're probably risky <laughs> with a two-minute TikTok video. He's like, what is, what is this? Yeah. Some advert for Donald Trump's new social media site or something. I, I, I yeah. <laughs> six minutes. <laughs> six minutes is like one. Ah, yes, uh, I know, I know. Gosh, what, one millionth of her life, probably. So. Yeah. Well, you know, it puts me in mind of, because uh, I was going to ask you when you formed the Brian Jonestown Massacre, <clears throat> and it puts me in mind of uh, Robert Crumb, for some reason. Yeah. It, it, that documentary uh, came out, year, I think, in the 80s. And he made mm -hmm. a really good, I mean, he makes a lot of good points, but you were making it as well, where he said, you know, it used to be that cultures took generations, centuries yeah. to take root and have value. And now everything, and he, this is in the 80s, he's saying this. Now, I don't know what he thinks now. Now everything yeah. is focus group, prepackaged. And you've been in music and with BJM for so long, like it just occurs to me, like that's had such a time to take root and, and build a fan base. I mean, I've been a fan since the mid 2000s and you guys were around before that. Yeah. But I, I just, um, I don't know what your comment would be on that, but it just put me in mind of that. Well, you know, uh, I set out to, built my own culture which in, in a weird way you, you have to do anyway so it wasn't like some spontaneous ger uh, germination of something because it was based on a lot of things like people always say like oh anton you wish you were from the 60s oh i was born in 1967 so i am from the 60s mm -hmm. <laughs> it's right. that simple you know? right. it's like yeah. hey i'm from the 60s right you can't you can't change the can't argue with facts, right. you know, says so right on my passport. But, um, and the con the concept behind it was to try and teach other people how to do that because there would never be a me record store, a me internet, me, um, nightclub that stays open for me, a me, anything, no matter what I wanted to do. So the important thing that I wanted to do to impress on people was that you, you, you could do, sure, I'm an idiot, you could do this better. So that was really important because music and culture, they're, they're an ecosystem. So you need all that kind of stuff. A lot of people don't really get why it's in their best interest to help people. 
because it really is like on a lot of different levels. But um, unfortunately, you know, I've, I've, I've seen more people screw each other over, <laughs> screw themselves in my life. It's just crazy on a big level because they, everybody always thinks they don't understand business. Everybody's on the internet and still to this day, nobody reads contracts. And every single clause in a music contract or entertainment contract or any kind of contract, they're all online. You can look up every word. You can look up the whole thing, the input circled in a law class. All of that stuff is online. And nobody, boy, they'll, hmm. they they'll be playing it. with themselves <laughs> endlessly <laughs> on yeah. all other forms of social media. But they won't do that to save their life. And that there's nothing new under the sun. But I knew all that stuff before even people were online. See, I knew how it all worked, the whole record business and all that BS and the percentages and everything. So I wanted nothing to do with any of it. Mm -hmm. And I also used to think that people like the Minutemen or whoever, you know, when I was a teenager, were like they were doing loops in the 80s of America pulling in 90 grand a year in their van, just three guys. Yeah. You know, just playing like five, 400 person places or something, yeah. making 90 grand a year a piece or whatever yeah. it was, you know, yeah. it's just like, yeah, that's pretty good when you're easy. <laughs> they were making 90 grand a year yeah. all through the eighties. Yeah. Probably not paying taxes. Yeah. Yeah. Until, you know, but it's just, so I was like, man, if I could go anywhere and have people show up, then I would be happy if it played, paid for itself. So I don't need anything else. Right. And then I, and then, and then I kind of just knew that um, this saying no, just flat out saying no to all of it, when everybody in the world says yes, and then that was going to be making more successful in a certain way because there's this thing where you can't reject all the whole thing and be seen as doing that and then all of a sudden be praised by it. So it doesn't matter how many records I sell, I outsell Rihanna. <laughs> you know, and I'm not going to get number one. Yeah. There's no yeah. way. They they just don't do it. So there's I other things in the, in the UK, industry. I know people in the UK, they're on TV four times a year, you know, on the biggest show, nighttime shows or something. And they'll have like 3 million views, uh, listens on Spotify of their song. And I'll have like 69 million. There's no way they'll let me on TV. <laughs> yeah, just, like, no. But in France, they do. In France, I'll be on like the news talk shows you know like they're charlie rose oh wow whatever you know because yeah. they kind of like they like the idea of the rebels yeah so you when know? You, did you know the other guys when you formed brian jonetown massacre or no okay um you know when when i started bands nobody that had a band playing the kind of music that i wanted to play to would, would want to be in a band with me it was <laughs> so there's that thing. And, and, and one of the big motivators for me to play music was I figured out quickly that um, from people playing punk rock music and all this other stuff, the people weren't too bright. So that there's that situation in music that, that you know, that, 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 could, that could be an empowering thing. It, it, it doesn't have to be an arrogant thing. But for me, it was really inspirational to, to have that realization because I had only seen like, video clips of the Beatles or whoever playing, you know what I mean? Reruns or whoever on TV playing music, doesn't matter. Right. Let me, uh, 
Uh, are you there? Are you there? Yeah, yeah, I'm there. Probably somebody tried to call. Oh. Um, uh, and there's nothing that Jimi Hendrix or Paul McCartney has ever done that leads you to believe you can be them because you can't. See? Right. They're unique and one of a kind, just like Artie Garfunkel. He's a one of a kind singer. Mm-hmm. You can't sing like him. Now, a million people do sing in proximities of Whitney Houston. For some reason, that became all the rage, the vocal after Christina Aguilera. It's just like an endless uh, vocal gymnastics thing that they all seem to copy and cultivate. Like, yeah. A million people can do that for whatever reason, that that's like their thing. But the, anyways, but it was more like punk punk and that kind of music, seeing live music that showed me that I, I could play whatever I want to because those people were idiots. <laughs> but yeah, I became really interested in renting out my own spaces and doing whatever I could to, because in California, you see, since the 60s, music used to be in coffee bars and all kinds of places, right? And then around 66, the LA City Council freaked out and um, said no more kids on the sunset strip at, after 10 p.m they, they called curfew and the riots because all the coffee houses had all the bands so you'd see the birds and all these bands were playing in coffee shops right yeah. so the, the riot on sunset strip you could and that freaked everybody out and then so it became 21 and over to see music from that time on Right. So that completely shaped everything because everybody's musical opinions, you're already an adult. You could already be dead in Vietnam before you'd ever seen a live band play. Yeah. Besides your school dance or whatever. Mm-hmm. So um, the, th- the thing is, it's like um, I became hell bent on um, creating my own places to play or doing all that kind of stuff. Like in spite of that, my whole life, okay. you know. Yeah. To help get people into it you're like trying to find ways around the established sort of thing yeah you know it, more important than um looking for any um uh gosh what's the word for it um val Validation. Validation. Okay. Yeah. From an external source. Could be yeah. Big Daddy White Bucks from White White Guy Records or whoever, right? Yeah. The media. It, yeah. Did, it didn't matter, you yeah. know, what I'm saying. Like, I just, it didn't, never needed permission. So, who did you like growing up? Who'd you listen to? Who kind of grabbed you? Well, I liked all the 60s music, you know, from the record collections. Even when I was like 11 and 12, my next door neighbor, he, uh, <laughs> it's so funny. He worked for Cal. When he was young, he was a big guy. He worked for Calgary Stampede, which was this traveling Canadian festival. And um, he, his job, he was so big, he was like a football player type guy. He was driving around with Thorazine on a horse, and he would tackle hippies that were freaking out on asses and shoot them up with Thorazine and <laughs> their asses out. <laughs> the dope's like out that, of his palate. That's a good story. It's CD. such a great story. Yeah. But anyways, he, he was one of these guys that if you know any of these mental record collectors like I have, he was even worse than me. Boy, he had like two or three copies of every damn thing you could imagine from the 60s. So he was like buying every record as it came out, the whole 60s. And once he found out that, I, and they were all in his garage, 
his name is Bill. And uh, once, once, it, once he figured out how much I liked music, he gave me all those besides my mom's records. So I had like 2,000 albums, hmm. you know? Yeah. And then my sister was starting to get into new wave and punk and all that stuff. Yeah. And all my friends, older siblings. So, and there's a lot of bands from where I'm from. So it was like, talk about Black Flag. You know, I saw them when they were good and all that stuff. The Coos Nest was right down the street. Oh, wow. So way before Henry Rollins, I saw those guys. Oh, wow. I hate yeah. that guy, you know. <laughs> but when it was good yeah. and exciting, you know what I mean? And yeah. Ray Ginn, when his guitar used to sound good. Yeah. Who's that? You know, Cadenza? Was he the original? No. Yeah. And then there was the other guy who's in Western, the decline of Western civilization. That's yeah. yeah. Chavo. There, yeah, no, yeah. But no, the other guy, though, the other guy is um, Keith Morris from the Circle Jerks. Right, right. He was, yeah, in, yeah. He was in Black Flag, too. Yeah. But those guys were good, but it wasn't just them. It wasn't the, 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 the cool thing is that I'd like to say is, you know, when you tried to be like Johnny Rotten or whatever when you're a little kid, you just became yourself. But if you tried to be like Sid Vicious, you just became a glue head on yeah. the road to nowhere. Yeah. Cirrhosis and death. Yeah. This is this weird thing. And that you know, people became hairdressers and into synthesizers and all kinds of things, but it was all really related. Mm -hmm. Which was just a, a serious desire to like create your own culture because the alternative was so it was so bad and none of that stuff even came about the Nirvana stuff for another decade. Yep. Yeah. We were already doing what they wanted to do when we were like 11 and 12 in our, in our bedrooms and, and in our parties. So yeah. we were already mixing Bowie with the desire to play punk music. And you know what I mean? It was yeah. like, that's why I, I never even needed that stuff. Even though I the exact same age as him, those guys, every single one of them, if you listen to Dave Grohl or whoever, he's going to tell you that he was stupid long hair, whatever, into ACDC and Foreigner and all that crap, just like everybody else. And I hated every single one of those bands and all the people that liked them and the radio stations. It's just every single person that listened to those radio stations, listened to Dark Side of the Moon. I hated all of them. Really? All of them, because those people run you down with the truck. <laughs> yeah, there's a certain I mentality. I beat you up 20 at a time. You know, I, yeah. the only reason, the only only thing I have to say about all that shit, Led Zeppelin, is thank God because I learned how to fight twenty people at once and end up putting the fear of the living Jesus in them. You yeah. know, because you have to as you die. Yeah, yeah. And it was like that. The police, everybody. Yeah. You know? So. So when I, I I saw this movie, Twenty Four Hour Party People. Yeah. I I don't think I'd ever heard of Joy Division, but there was this riff, the bass riff, at the sure. beginning of digital and it just i was like i didn't re really right. like the movie i think i left but that really hooked me like it became obsessive like and then i bought their stuff with sure. you guys Peter Hook is great with you guys it was that girl suicide that yeah. riff at the beginning that do 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 like yeah. i couldn't that's how i wrote it i, I couldn't get it out of my head and I was like, yeah, it, so I wrote that that song um, because there was this girl who I was dating and um, she wanted to learn bass. So I bought her like a 60s bass. But with the amount of money she gave me, there was like a twin. There was like a, a red guitar that was exactly the same as bass. I'm like, oh, this is cute. I'll get you a guitar and a bass because I'm really good at deals with old school stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I know 
you know, like if somebody gives me like 700 or something, I'm going to find something that's, I'm going to get like 2000 worth of stuff. You know what I mean? Will you play 80 plus instruments? Yeah, but also I know the whole history of guitars and stuff. So I know what's junk and what isn't. And right. You know what I mean? I can just find it. I can yeah. find the deals. Yeah. I have like a million guitars. But um, so, so then we had the, you know, I'm sitting in, in, at, at our house and I'm like, okay, here, I'll teach you how to play. Just play this. Do, 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 Just play this over and over again. And so then I start playing guitar and I'm like, oh, well, there, I have a song. So then, but at the same time, there's a parallel universe and my band was like, oh, motherfucker. Oh, excuse my language. <laughs> Don't but, worry about it. It's fine. <laughs> okay. I do that quite a bit though. It's no part worries. of my, uh, my um, bijou theater vernacular. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, I... The band was like, we're going to quit if you write one more song without us or something. So I was at that point, I had to trick everybody. I'm like, oh, look, hey, I had this idea. Maybe, if, you know, if you just copy what I'm doing on guitar and bass for a second. Oh, that's really good. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. And then I start playing something. I'm like, okay. And then what? okay well you switch to this part oh yeah wait a minute now all we need is a change you yeah. know and then i was like pretending that we we're all writing stuff yeah, yeah. you know what i mean because i would do anything just to but you know it strikes me that song is i think when you were talking about the symphony and and the layers like you know it, from that very simple riff and then the 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 melody that's playing under it and then i heard a version where you guys added it's a live version Mm -hmm. Or you, you like there's sort of not an organ, but it's like a synthesizer added. Yeah. And every time I hear that song, like you've you've added something new to it, or it's just it's a little slower. It's it's such a yeah, wonderful. Yeah, a little bit older. Yeah, you know, or or it's a little bit quicker, or it's it just that's what it it just seems to evolve every time I hear it, and it's just such a uh, that's what hooked me in. You know that that riff hooked me in. Well, the the other thing is because we used to there used to be this like right in it you know and all this other stuff. It's kind of hard for a lot of people to play this this weird sliding thing, like sort of Brian Jones thing. It's it's hard for me to play it, but there's this weird thing in it that a lot of people don't get on guitar. I I did it again in Lapi in my French band and did one of those guitar parts that I, I can't play more than one time through. I like what well, I can do it once. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the loop it, you know, yeah. because it's just so, but it's such a good idea. Yeah. But there's no way I'm good enough, you know, some Django <laughs> Reinhardt stuff or something. How does but, the um, process go for you? I mean, does it start with lyrics? Do you hear a melody? Do you, are you fooling around with instruments? Are you picking stuff out? It, it's different. It's different. You know, um, the last 70 songs I wrote in a row, one, one, one a day, like sort of um, almost all of them. Uh, one of my guitar players, my drummer, we were, we were doing it together. So I have no spare ideas, you know? So I stand there. And this is going to sound weird, but. I, I mean, I could go, get into it as deep as you want to get it, but please, please do. Well, there's a couple different things. First of all, 
there's kind of a sound that's in the air, in the earth, in the almost the universe, but we'll say our solar system, that changes subtly every day or two. It's not exactly 24 hours, but something will sound so right to you, right? And you can write and it'll be there for a little while and then it's gone. And if you have a capo, which is a, a device that you put on your guitar or whatever, and you slide it to change the tuning. So basically if you're playing the E chord, you put it on the first fret and then you're still playing the E chord, but you've moved up. So now you're playing F sharp. Doesn't make okay. sense. If you know what a capo is. Yeah, yeah, I, do. I play a little guitar, so yeah. Okay, so yeah, capo, so you change the key of songs. And you can really home into what actual, this thing that resonates with you. Now we know that all the planets make sounds. We know the black holes make sounds and all this crap makes sounds like radio telescopes in the universe, right? But the earth and the ground actually make a sound. California, it's, it's, everything's an A. But with the electricity of the ground, not only the ground, but the actual earth, they call it, a, a, not only is a ground is called earth in Europe too, but the actual earth, like there on that plate is an A. It resonates. And so I wrote hundreds and hundreds of songs in A. The Beatles never did that. When you get to the UK and this continent, it's like bees. It's like moved up, it's in a totally different resonance. And see, it never chimed in. Go back to California, it's the birds and everybody are in that key unless they're trying to, they change it to uh, resonate. Now, uh, women and country people, they like C's and D's because of the way they can harmonize. So you go to India and it's all in C and D. All the sitars, they could tune them up to anything in the world, but it's all in C and D. Those are the sound of their universe because it's that continental plate making the Himalayas and that is the resonance, the ohm that they hear in their head. So anyways, but it suddenly changes. So you'll be, you'll be playing, you know, you, you stand there so I can pick up my guitar and I go with the capo and I can move it up. Okay, this sounds good. And then I just start writing because it's already chiming out. It's already in this thing. And then you just kind of, you know, the subtleties of what makes the same. Let's say I play the folk chords, right? Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting if you're sitting at a piano uh, you're a composer. I'm a composer. I compose for film and TV to spec, watching the film go by. I did a whole series. I finished it. It'll be in November in America on PBS and, and um, oh, nice. BBC America. But it's already played over here, over in the UK. Okay. It's called Annika. But anyway, I composed the whole thing with, with another person. So I didn't just write some music and then they used it. Like people call themselves composers these days. And that's not composition. You just write, you just write some sh crap, right? And then they just put it in there. That's song placement. But there's all these funky titles now that people, that, that don't mean anything. You know what I mean? The way they stretch and bend. But so anyways, um, if you're a composer, you're sitting at the piano every day and, and you're running your fingers across the keyboard and you've played all the notes a million times, but what is it that hones into the one thing that all of a sudden 
catches your ear, Mr. Eric Satie, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, ding, 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 ding. And you're playing Moonlight Sonata or whatever, next thing you know. But yeah, whether you're conscious of it or not, there's certain things that resonate and they, they retain their, the, the beauty of form, the mathematics, doesn't matter if the whole world changes because now we go back to an earlier uh, point of reference that I brought up about the full spectrum of human emotion. It will still resonate with, in some way with someone, with something that they identify with. For some people, it'll strike a chord of mood that they recognize. So it doesn't have to be in the tone of the universe at that moment. They can still pick up on its whatever it, it, it was you were trying to communicate or that you were tapping into. But so anyway, so I, I figure that out. They're sitting there. I start playing something for a minute. I go, okay. Then they start playing with me for a second. I'm like, oh, could, could you just play this, right? The drummer, I'm like, okay, let's approach it like this for a second. And then I understand it as a song immediately. And I go, okay, stop. We unplug the amps. I flip them off. Um, I either plug in direct or use acoustics, record that stuff because I identify the tempo exactly, uh, exactly, so I can use a click. I only just started doing that, but I, it's very important to figure out exactly what you're playing so you're not playing to the click. The click is almost playing to you instead, and that way I can edit later if I want, and I do the drums last. So, and then I just complete it and, and complete it in like under three hours, make up the words and everything else. So, so what, what's but, the and then I just repeat. I just what, do that every day. What's the click you were talking about? A metronome, but, but you know, it, okay. it, it, I, I use Pro Tools because if I use tape, it, I, I've used tape before and, you know, do you have a spare bedroom? How much tape I would burn? That would be like every month or two months. It's just, it it's just re would be ridiculous. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like a roll of tape is what fifteen minutes. It, it's yeah. just like, yeah, yeah. I burned through I burned through terabytes of yeah. hard drives. <laughs> yeah. So, it you know what I mean? It's just yeah. not. It would be ridiculous. Yeah. So I I switched to Pro Tools with all the rest of my analog stuff. So I'm using very old stuff or very good analog stuff with um with uh, Pro Tools as a recording uh, device. And you do the whole process. You do the mixing, you do the all the post stuff and... You know, like I, I have an engineer, but COVID times, she, she's in Liverpool. I mean, I produce, right. I, I can engineer and do all that stuff too, mm -hmm. but I tend to like to pay somebody to sit there because then I can just jump around from instrument to instrument because I'm very fast and I don't want to screw around. Right. Because I get impatient a little bit with See, little technical things that are, are beyond me. Right. Like yeah. when I used to do acid or something, I would have no problem sitting there all day, like making the sound over here, doing this, <laughs> that, and the other. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, this is cool. It sounds great. Wow. This is amazing. Yeah. I don't have the patience to do any of that stuff anymore. Yeah. You know, because I'm, yeah. I'm just, I don't have the patience to tune my guitars almost. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you like being in the studio? Uh, and well, I shouldn't say you should like one more than the other. What do you like about playing live? Like when you're 
able to actually get out there on the stage and reproduce or how difficult is it sometimes to reproduce what's in the studio live all of well you know okay first of all one one is a conceptual art form the other is a performance art form so they're two okay. totally different things the thing about conceptual art is i like to create something that doesn't create an albatross around my neck meaning something that can't be lived up to mm -hmm. i want to exceed that so what i wanted to do is to create a, a, a atmosphere environment this thing right that grabs my attention but i want to be able to break free from it so i wanted to like trigger some sort of um some altered state in me but i want to be able to walk away from it and not be obsessed with it so for many years i didn't even bother finish the lyrics beyond and i still just do first take stuff but i even try that hard like now i'll just try to think about it a little bit harder than i was because i knew that i would just do it live i would just sing have it complete and also dylan once said that in in a song he's like if my thought dreams could be seen they probably put my head inside a guillotine <laughs> it's all right mom you know yeah yeah and there's a, there's a lot of truth to that because a lot of things i have to say that people just don't don't say yeah um, do you, do you like playing live? Do you enjoy it? Yeah, I do. Now, live, there's this, there's a lot of different things. See, live, it's team sport. So you can't say, only idiots are going to buy that. Like, oh, yeah, Neil Young's such a great guitar. Well, if his band players, band play, band sucks and the drummer sucks, yeah. Neil Young's band sucks. That's just <laughs> the bottom line. Yeah. Like, if, if you could, you, people, <laughs> People do it all the time, man. People are going to jump up and down and rant and rave about the Rolling Stones or some shit. Yeah. But they're like, oh, you got to listen to this drummer, man. Look at it. Here he is playing with James Brown in 1982. And, and I'm like, on oh, David Letterman. And I'm like, square as shit in 1982, man. <laughs> that James Brown song sounded way better in 1965. Yeah. So I don't care how good you think he is. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. He's... Bleh! Feels like a sounds like a robot with a stick caught up its butt or something. That's <laughs> weird. So but, everybody's uh, got to do their thing. Like well, you yeah, but it's a team sport, right? You know what I mean? And people can say like, "Oh my God, that guy was so good." Did you see him do all that amazing stuff? It's like, no. The greatness thing is trying to get like the whole beast to work in one thing. And, and the cool thing about music is you it, you can um, people they love an underdog. So you can really wrestle, things can go <laughs> and, and you can really drag the bull by the horns right back, mm -hmm. which is amazing thing to be able to do. And DJs, you know, it's not the same thing really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It's not the same thing at all. I mean, they kind of do it in a set, I guess. Everybody stops dancing and they're like, oops, that was wrong. Well, how about this? <laughs> you know, but yeah. that's a, it's a, a whole different animal because I find all that disposable culture and the volume and the frequencies to be stupid do you do it, like multi night tour or multi like you go out for like three months at a time or yeah so, yeah yeah okay i mean even america takes us a couple months to do just america yeah. the way we play we're not like an english band that goes american tour eight shows four shows for months yeah we and we play big places too it's not like oh yeah I mean, sometimes we'll play a place with the, this, that's like 
we'll be in the middle of Nebraska or someplace like because of the night or something and somebody will hire us to play you know like in there's this thing that when we're playing like it basically for the most part it it, it takes like 25 grand to get us out of bed everybody lives around the world right yeah and it, and uh, and sometimes that doesn't even work right but then sometimes if we're rolling down the road in our tour bus or something and it just happens to be an off night or whatever you know, like meaning not a book, like a travel day or something. Yeah. And, and somebody's like, oh, yeah, play, play in Omaha at this place with 600 people. Um, it might be like seven grand. Yeah. To, to get us to play or something. It's, so it's not that bad because yeah. the, the theory is, oh, we would just be playing, paying for a hotel or, or whatever it is. Driver can only drive eight, eight hours. Right. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, oh, you're working and then the driver can drive because when, when we work, the driver sleeps. Right. See how that works. So, you'd say so, might as well. so we do end up in some strange places sometimes. Yeah. You know, it, it's not not a lot, but we yep. do. You know, so it isn't just like okay, they're playing this big place in Utah. They're playing this big place in in Denver. They're playing yeah. this big place over here. You know, it's like sometimes there'll be some some weird funky thing going on too. And yeah. um, but uh, you see, I don't mind that. Is it is it tiring? Like, does it get tiring? Sure, I get pneumonia usually. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's really hard. It's yeah. tiring these days, man. I go to get on the bus, and they're like, "No smoking on the bus," and I'm like, "Fuck you! I'm, <laughs> I'm calling your boss right now. We're not. You can take this bus back to Nashville right now. It's gonna cost twenty five hundred to clean it." I'm like, "Don't care, really." Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll you gotta be comfortable, you know. You gotta do, you know. Yeah. I know I'm bad, but they, they don't ever really clean out those air systems. So, and you're in a club and they don't really clean out those. And now we're in COVID times. Yeah. It's just really dangerous. Um, yeah. Respiratory. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. I it's saw you guys in 2000, I want to say 2008. And right. I want to say it was the Hammerstein ballroom. Huh. And what I remember, it was in Manhattan, and what I remember okay. distinctly was a s roughly seven-foot-tall rapper. Uh, okay, on, so on the, I think that, that it wasn't Hammerstein. It was a, a, a uh, yeah, I forget the name. It was a bigger place with a balcony. I yeah, I know. That. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to remember the name. Yeah, I know. It's not Bowery. It was, was Bowery? It wasn't Bowery. And, Bowery. Well, they're the promoters. Yeah. It's their other venue. I forget what it's called. Okay. There was a funnier time we played there where we were on the top and it was down below us. It was insane clown posse. And then down in the basis, it, basement, it was this heavy metal death screamer core <laughs> band, Oak, Oak Teth. And it was just the weirdest crowd of people ever. Yeah. And then they're like, had to stop the bottom show because it was raining juggalo juice down through the floor <laughs> dance floor of the down below and, and we were just scratching our heads it was the weirdest thing in the world who the was combination the of people coming and going from that who who was the rapper do you remember no just some guy that just, just jumped some he, he was fun. he was great though he came out and he did his thing all by himself it was really it was great yeah i don't know what to say about anything <laughs> sometimes i'm tolerant <laughs> but yeah it was uh it was it was really a trip um what you know you've been doing this a long time what 
what keeps the music fresh for you? Like what keeps it, you know, still alive? Well, I like music, so. That was my other question. What do yeah, you love about so, music? That well, was going to be my opening question. <laughs> it's, a, it's more complex what I do. You have to take a look again. It's more, there's more variables than flying a jet airplane. So mm -hmm. it's more complicated. Like if you like look at all the different things, all the different buttons, all the different bits, I, I write and play all the parts and choose what I'm doing. There's all these little knobs and doodads you can be looking at and the way they all work on the different tracks that I have limitlessly, limitlessly available that, um, that's a limitless, you know, there's a lot, to, a lot of space in there to uh, explore. And uh, um, it, it's also like a, ma a magic machine, you know, I, I think uh, whatever, whatever music is for me or whatever my inspiration is on a day, a given day, nobody has to know anything about that scene, which is good. Like all the they have to know about art is what it means to them. Mm -hmm. So in that way, it's a magic machine where other things aren't, I think. Meaning I could be as sad as can be somebody done me wrong or whatever, but the listener doesn't have to. I can even flip it around, write that sad song and write happy lyrics over the top of it, juxtapose everything, and nobody has to know whatever happened to me. It's not important, but people may uh, like it, or and it could be vice versa. It doesn't even matter. See, but um, people can make whatever they want out of that. And that that's a really positive thing, I think, in this world, in the arts. And some, some art forms are a lot more concrete than that because they, they, um, their medium dictates like certain things. Like, you know, you look at a, a sculpture of Barack Obama and you, and you go, well, I recognize that. Boy, that's a great likeness. You know, I really like the way they did that bronze, but it's kind of limited in that, in, in that effect. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, and music music can be a lot more different. It, it can hit people in in, in in many other ways. Whether and it, to me, it's not important how many people get it or don't get it or when they get it. You know, I, I can I can live with um, live with the the re the realities of this stuff. You know, I was like, gonna, uh, what do you? Oh, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. That's okay. I was going to say, what, what do you think draws people, I know this is a very, very broad question, but what draws people to music? Like, what is it that, I mean, it's always been there with us. Supposedly, um, one in 10,000 people have musical aptitude. That just means they can hear music on a deeper level. When I talked about uh, sing, uh, your mind singing along with the symphony, their mind actually triggers that way. A lot more people are affected by rhythm are just loud noise and tribal group functions. Mm -hmm. that, that, even though the courts have now said that that's music too, mm -hmm. um, a lot more people are get caught up in that. Mm -hmm. Kind of the group 
thing is that what, is that what you mean it's a group activity it moves their body there's a tribal trance thing it's just very old and uh yeah. you know it doesn't require any thought whatsoever and in fact it's the opposite where you surrender surrender yourself to to that stuff okay. different different music forms they uh trigger different re reactions like i think loud heavy metal and its ferocity and all this stuff like really crazy stuff you know your your body's natural inclinations to like go away from those kind of sounds and that energy right but the response it triggers and people like banging their head and coming closer into it and getting into it is like you fight that and that's the that's the payoff mm. do you know what i mean that's the whole thing is you're just fighting that feeling mm -hmm. and like punk might be this aggressive aggressive energetic thing where you're going round and round and getting your yahoo's out and that's another thing yeah. you know what i mean it fills a lot of other things and the dance techno and stuff slow the hip-hop jams and they're all this other kind of crap you know what i mean yeah but i'm just not into disposable culture that's dated in a certain thing yeah you know i i don't like the whole culture i'm fine with people and hip-hop and all that stuff but i'm not into all the disposable culture yeah i think it's just dumb it's just well, digital litter <laughs> I've always thought, like when I was growing up and we were into metal and all that, we would accuse each other of, oh, you just like this because it's popular. And we would accuse each other of being posers and sell out. We'd argue which bands sold out and things like that. And I, I guess it all just had to do with authenticity. Like, what's authentic? Like, what do you really enjoy? Well, uh, authenticity. Ready? You got, you got NWA, you got anybody since then, right? You got. You got these guys, these hip hop guys, right? They're all fucking gang banging, right? And they got their their Lamborghinis or whatever they're flashing. They got all this stuff, right? And you're thinking like, whoa, my God, this surly, dangerous, talking about murdering people. They got all this shit. And then you flip the camera around on the film crew and the, and the whole place is bonded for like a million. And there's like 900,000 worth of video and film gear yeah that's rented and the cars are leased <laughs> yeah. you know there's some big old jewish lawyers and <laughs> the whole thing is just a, a charade yeah yeah all of it yeah but then you're like oh well it's really real he died he just had a number one on tiktok and he, he got shot down at the nightclub last night yeah. <laughs> just like who cares yeah. But I yeah. mean, but but there's a whole flip side of that. Since the beginning, it's like fuck the police. <laughs> They're filming this stuff, like, you know what I mean, with this this film crew and this editing suite in Hollywood. It's like you know, it wasn't done in somebody's house. That's true. Yeah, it's like big money. I always thought you it know? came from. It's all insured. Oh yeah, no, no, I agree. But I always thought it came from not so much. I mean, yes, there are like, did you really go through this or whatever? But I guess I finally figured out I respond to bands, artists, writers. Do they like it? Are they into it? Like, do they really love the music, the art, the book? Because I, I just think even if I There's don't so people, know it, I can tell. Isn't everybody into it? But you know what? There's like this whole thing 
that really bugs me is the diminishing returns um, are artists, the, the legacy artists. Mm -hmm. <laughs> They're just like playing at like these supper clubs and the, then the, the tickets are like 1000 or whatever with the meet and greet and all this no, crap. And they don't that. give oh. anybody the time of day because they think like, well, you didn't sell 4 million records, son. And, and now it's like TikTok videos or whatever. And, and people are selling no records or 100 records. Like, you know, Rihanna went, she went number one for selling 500 copies. Yeah, And then she went number one because she signed a deal with Samsung that said, oh, if you get this phone, you know, we're going to leak this on Friday, this, this new yeah. album or whatever. And then they said, oh, we absolutely accidentally leaked it a day early. And then a billion people pressed the button. Yeah. But it had well, nothing to, not to do with anything. And the funny no. thing about it is nobody cares about those damn records. No. Like nobody who likes her even... The whole music is really disposable. Yes. I mean, I find, I don't know, you know, like, I just don't see anything, from my knowledge of history, I don't see anybody caring, giving a hoot about any of it. It doesn't matter if it's Drake or anybody caring about any of this stuff in not even a handful of years. Nobody cares about public enemy, except for some white guys on a, on a, on a, um, on some like reminisce, reminiscing thing. Nobody cares about the, the Grandmaster Flash or any of the original hip hop guys. Nobody cares about anything. And uh, it, well, do you think that's a slam? Is that a slam on the music or is that a slam on people? No, because Public Enemy is phenomenal. Right. In, in, in it's, it is its own genre. And it's, it was in a way this, uh, it became a climax of this um, synthesis of, of things, you know, Rick Rubin bringing in his love of Van Halen or whatever into the, the hip hop thing that he also loved, like slamming everything together and just, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and the politics like Chuck is still screwed on incredibly tight. He's the same as he ever was, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which I totally respect more than a lot of people, you know? Yeah more than a lot of people yeah because a lot of people have really funky funky attitudes it, it, you know it's it's there's there's all kinds of amazing stuff in the world you yeah. know yeah <laughs> i mean a lot of things aren't, aren't as deep as you think they are like uh... <laughs> no uh, yeah <laughs> i mean yeah. There, there's yeah. a song by bobby jameson and he's singing it's called there's a war going on and, and I, I even covered it, but um, he was this guy in the 60s. And that song is crazier than any Dylan song. What he's just saying is, is, is crazier as in a folk that, motif. Is it's it what's just, going on? That, that, is it that song? Am I confused? He's just saying, um, you know, don't go outside today because there's a war going on in your town today. <laughs> you know? Okay, yeah, yeah. Like... Yeah. He was out funding around when a cop shot his brother down, you know, and then he's talking about Vietnam and all this other stuff. And it's just like, you know what I mean? It's, but you know, like Kent State and everything, it's like crazier than it's wilder. I mean, and you realize there was, there was actually a lot of, there are some people that were 
too crazy for primetime TV. And when you think about it, you'd like, go, oh, here's a protest and blah, blah, blah. Well, I know Dylan's songs from the 60s. Mm-hmm. I know which ones are crazy, though. Yeah. The, the ones that, to me, like, the, the, if we go back to... Um, wait. You back to uh, it's all right, Ma. That song is more dangerous than a lot of them because you know he he drops a lot of science in that. Like once again, he learned all that stuff. He's always trying to uh, name drop and quote and paraphrase writers and stuff, where he found his a lot of uh, the building blocks for his mindset or, and or outlook. And one thing that he says in the in it, in that song that's pretty interesting is he says the rules of the road have been lodged it's just people's games that you have to dodge <laughs> but like a masonic lodge mm-hmm. there's one in every town in in the social structures yeah even on the back of the do- dollar bill but he's like ah the rules of the road have been lodged but it's just people's games that you have to dodge yeah which is really interesting that he would throw that in there because See, you would never pick it up unless you understood what he was talking about. But he knew exactly what he was talking about because he was talking with Ginsburg and all those guys. And those guys all knew. They all know. They're, they're worthy establishment. Yeah. Or they, the refuse nicks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, this, this has been uh, a really interesting conversation. I, I really appreciate Too much, you think? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, well, you know, it's weird. <laughs> Is it too much? <laughs> I don't want to... But, you know, I've listened to you for years and I was very surprised when your guy Stuart got back and I was like, geez, all right, this is. <laughs> Normally I don't do, po- I don't, I'm not interested in doing po- podcasts. I have my own reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Because mostly it is like everybody in their mom has a podcast and basically what they're trying to do is get you to do a podcast. So they are 120 followers. They go, <laughs> oh, they post the link and then you have like, hundreds of thousands of people connected to you online so they're trying to get that traffic yeah you know it's so weird it has nothing to do with with anything with anything because i say i i I always say the same kind of stuff if i'm doing an interview or anything yeah yeah i'm pretty much you know what i mean there's only so much i think about yeah you know i basically voted with my feet yeah because I, i thought that america was I mean, I knew for a long time that America was, because I'm real salt of the earth. Yeah. So I knew that America was what was up a long time ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it started, it's not that you asked, but it started with, I had Mormon neighbors. So they were always telling me about what, what was going to happen in the future. Well, my, my mom was even Mormon. Oh. But so they, those, those people are, you know, cause they're all into tribulation, but also they're like looking for the science and everything. They were telling me about all this crap that was going to go down. And then when you see the, the head of the CIA become the vice president and a movie actor become president. Because what, 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 what does the head of the CIA do? <laughs> you know, it's like, come on. Yeah, yeah. Is the CIA the most democratic organization you ever heard of? You know, it's funny. I had this guy, Philip Mudd. He was the yeah. deputy. Oh, I, 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 I pray to God his middle name is Jay. <laughs> My name is Philip J. Mudd. He, I mean, uh, you know, like Elmer J. Fudd. Yeah, 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 right. That would yeah. be great. He, uh, he was but the anyways. deputy director of the CIA's counterterrorism unit. And I read his book. Sure. 
and I, I, you know, I reached out to him. He said, yeah, I'll do the podcast. And uh, cool. yeah, you know, it's surprising how, I mean, I hear what you're saying, but it was surprising how like down to earth he was willing to admit mistakes. Say like, look, we screwed up. This guy died in detention and we learned. Not well, you know that. what? You know what? The, 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 first of all, the place is completely compartmentalized. So nobody even knows what the other people are doing. They don't want to know. Right. So the, bo- the bosses of any given level, do you, think, do you think one person wants the headache of anything? It's micromanaged. Mm-hmm. And there's even teams that are against each other, competing or whatever. Yes. You know what I mean? Because the, the goal is to get the job done, whatever it is. Yes. So you got all these people in, in, that are that a lot of people are in, in to analyzing things, information, data entry, data edit. But you know, so you can't you can't just talk to one person to come and go. Oh no like, no! But he um, his whole thing was like, look, we should have had more outside people saying, this is wrong, you're doing this incorrectly. So you need to do this, and he said we we did not have that, and I was like, that's kind but of that's not even interesting. Admission. You should ask him what you should you, see if I you had to know me, I would have said, ask him why Porter Goss and five hundred people walked out on the job in one day. So that's a question for the, for somebody that worked at the CIA because they're going to know who Porter Goss was. He was the head of the CIA, but ask him why he he. Yeah, I understand, but I see. I like to stick to five hundred. Employees, oh, I the top 500, walked out and quit before. I, I, I kind of like to stay. Our, our whole thing is process. So it's like, I'm not, and this is why I agreed to do the podcast because I'm not, I'm not here to say gotcha. I want to yeah. know how things work. You know, I want to know how, yeah. how, do, how do these things come about? Because I think, I mean, we all know the torture was abhorrent. I mean, th- there's no debating that. So it's sort of like, all right, but how does that come about? Like, that's what I think people don't look at hard enough to then say, we're not going to do that again. Yeah, but it's so, you know what? It's so blah, blah, blah. It's such, it's such BS. They said that they, they, they said that they ended Vietnam in 75 or whenever, and they were still screwing around till 78 or whatever, right next door. Yes. That apocalypse now crap was still going on until at that point, they let the Laos and Hill people into America. That's the dead giveaway that those guys closed up shop and all the people that were on that team came home mm-hmm. to, to South San Francisco. And there's like, it's so endless torture. What did those guys do? Did you ever see Apocalypse Now? They completely disemboweled people and left them screaming in the jungle to scare the hell out of everybody. It took, took the Vietnamese to beat up the Khmers. Mm-hmm. They were just play, monkeying around in Southeast Asia. But my point being, torture, you know, they've been handed, they were handing people to Assad in, in Egypt for ages. If you know anything about where all these bad guys in the Brotherhood came from, they were locking them in dogs and, uh, with do- uh, attack dogs in Egypt, covering them in animal grease and letting dogs attack people till they had heart attacks to make them talk in the Middle East. Before any of the Guantanamo, before any of that stuff. They've been doing this stuff for ages, mm. you know? Yeah. yeah. But that's not the issue because their mandate is who do you want to win? And, right? And, mm. and then uh, what, what does it take to win? 
because it is zero sum, right? So that's, that's the thing. But my point was, to me, it looked like after all the thing, like, okay, well, the head of the CIA is president. I do, I do make any value judgments on the CIA, right? Then you see like, <laughs> out of nowhere, Obama just coming out of nowhere. And I know damn well how many racists are in America because I grew up there, right? Mm. So there's no question in my mind, right? What's going on? And then it was really just like, to back that up again, you, you think he just goes away and then it's Trump land. Trump just wins. <laughs> it's like, oh, uh, how did that happen? Just like more than half of America now is, I guess, yeah. wants to be Nazis or something. Yeah. It, 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 neither of those things, Trump nor Obama, happened in a vacuum, see, because Obama almost got us, got us into a war with the firmness of the policy with Russia to where they said no. And then, then, it, then it was a reset to like, let's just do business. We'll have this business guy. It, with Kissinger, it was like Team B came back in. Yeah. <laughs> my, my point being, at a certain point, I was like, I can't, I can't be able to stick around for this because I have no illusions about what, what happens in this next phases with Biden and China and all this. Yeah. After, after him. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like, to me, it's so serious yeah. every single day. Yeah. But I think what, it'll be fascinating for a lot of people that like sci-fi. <laughs> because it, my prediction is in the, in, in the next five years, you're going to see some terrifying shit pop up as a warning uh -huh. yeah. to China. Yeah. Because they'll keep doing this like hypersonic missiles or whatever, whatever it is they're testing everywhere. Yeah. And you'll just see so just, just something will happen that just goes, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> we're going, we're, we're, we're driving circles around your hy hypersonic missile. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It'll be yeah. it'll be something weird. Yeah. That I think, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Not to be all conspiracy. I just, but uh, but what I what I really thought was is I thought that um, uh, the whole West, from my observation point, because uh, I could I was living in New York. I was in a lot of places. I was just like, it's all it's all gone. This new kind of fascism. So I'm just going to live in Germany where they can't be actual fascists, even if they do change the rules. Yeah. Like if everybody has to obey the rules of a, of a surveillance state and, and, and these, these new things, at least in Ger Germany, they have to do, they have a civil playbook, yeah. you know, yeah. which I really respect because mm -hmm. you know what, what really broke my heart is my whole life. I, I, they, when I was a little kid, they would tell me uh, the environment overpopulation, it's up to you kids and all this different stuff. Right. And yeah, I, I watched them, ban drilling in California, the oil drilling, because the horrible oil spills and all this stuff, right? The smog and air of leaded gas. And it was, it's like, how many times have I seen them, the nation enact all these laws of whatever to protect everybody? Unions, it could be anything, right? Just to rip them up for the next four years. And it's just this endless thing that yeah. I can't be a part of. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. Because it really breaks my heart. Yeah. You know, that kind of, yeah. Do you know you? Yeah. Well, hey, listen, I, I really appreciate it. This is no, this is a fascinating conversation. I love it, and uh, like I said, I'm a huge fan. So I'll I'll keep listening. And uh, all right, I hope music. I hope that, that didn't tarnish anything. 
No, not at all. Not <laughs> I didn't say anything bad. It wasn't bad talking. Not at all. Not at all. It was great. No, it was really good. Right. I really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot, Anton. I, I really, it was great meeting you. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, take, take care and have a good week. All right, Weekend. you too. All right. Cheers. Take it easy. Bye. Bye. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Working Experience. We'd like to thank our sponsors, One Circle Media. If you work for a studio, network, startup, or corporation and are looking for a partner to create media that will build, engage, and entertain your audience, reach out to me at john at onecirclemedia.com. I would love to hear from you. And that's it. The end. The sweet end. Until our next audio encounter.